This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. When I first started pulling together the concept for this podcast, I spoke with Richie Migliori, who shared his memories with me of Eric in those times. Very graciously, Richie directed me to Frank Lovato Jr., who he said was Eric's closest friend in the racing community back in those days. Frank very generously made time for me. The story that he shared of the roads traveled by both he and Eric underscored the opportunities and the challenges Richie mentioned in last week's podcast. But even more importantly, they underscored the deep love for Eric and the pain of his loss, still so strongly felt today. Eric was not in the picture at that point. Uh, he, he was, I didn't, I didn't, he didn't, he wasn't riding. Uh, he was also a kid that came up from Panama, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't know him. Um, anyway, the plan was for, for me, uh, I was exercising horses at Belmont Park. My, my contract holder sent me to Ohio to get some experience, and they, they were going to bring me back to New York and launch my career um, with, with the idea of uh, going for the Eclipse Award. So they wanted me to get to not start winning races, because they already were speculating that I had I was I was going to be uh, a, a contender for this. Um, that they they wanted me to start racing, to start my apprenticeship as close to January first as possible, so I would have that full year to campaign for that award. Well, the hiccup was they sent me to Ohio, and um, <clears throat> I, I I started my apprenticeship immediately here in Ohio, um, which. My contractor was very annoyed because I wasn't supposed to start it. I was just supposed to ride some races and get some experience. So I, I ended up starting it, and this was in October. Um, and way too soon. It, mm. it messed all the plans up. <laughs> um, but mean, meanwhile, they were still going to bring me back to New York and uh, have me race at, at the Aqueduct Meet uh, in the New York Circuit for the winter and campaign uh, to, to try to get me rolling. Um, in New York, and some kid named Eric Batia came up from Panama, um, and he caught fire and was winning races left and right. Um, so my contract holder, my trainer, said, well, we, we, we made a mistake. Um, this isn't working out. There's no, it didn't make sense for them to bring me into uh, into the fire, so to speak, mm. because Eric was 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 really rolling, um, winning all these races. Even as an apprentice, he, he was riding in stakes races and things like that. So uh, my con- my contract holder sent me to from Ohio to Louisiana um, to to uh, campaign there while they were trying to sort out when to bring me into New York. And um, <clears throat> meanwhile. I was on fire as far as races. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm winning races like crazy, left and right. Um, and, 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 in fact, me and Eric both were two apprentices. Now, he's in New York, which is the toughest competition. I'm, I'm in Louisiana at the fairgrounds. Um, 
which turn, turns out had Randy Romero, Pat Day. I was going to um, say, not an insignificant uh, circuit, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, on paper, like people from New York may not have recognized the competition I was dealing with, but um, but I was winning. I, I, I came into the meet late there in Louisiana, and I'm, I'm winning races more than anybody. Eric's winning more races than anybody in New York. We're both in the top ten um, in the nation. Races won, and we're apprentices. Um, so, so my boss is, he's trying to figure out, my trainer, he's trying to figure out when's a good time to bring me into, into New York and if it's even a good idea at this point. Looks like we blew our opportunity. This Eric Batia can ride. And, um, and he's doing really, really well. Um, so the spring comes. Um, they opted me out of going to Keeneland and just brought me into New York. And still, at the, it's, at the time, I'm in the, I'm in the top ten in America. Races one, mm-hmm. and uh, people are like, "Well, who is this kid?" And and, um, and Batia was was still he had a lot of business, and he was doing really really well. And so it, I got to New York, and I went from winning maybe 10, 10 12 races a week to um, to ride riding ten or twelve races a oh, week. Oh wow! <laughs> and yeah, and. Uh, wow. And, and it was very discouraging. And, and I, my first winner was a favor for a friend that paid ninety dollars, and you know, and it just it was not looking very good for me. Um, meanwhile, uh, we're fierce competitors. He couldn't have been a nicer guy, and and I and I kind of consider myself a nice person. Um, <laughs> so um, we we. Uh, we become we become friends, and and there was also another another apprentice in the mix that I did have a, a bit of a friendship with before then was an, another apprentice named Mike Gonzalez, and uh, he can also he can also ride. Um, he was under contract for Green Tree Stables, which was at the time was still one of the most prominent stables in America. Um, he just came off win the Louisiana Derby, um, and I mean Mike looked like his. It looked like the, between the three of us, like wow! At all of all years, there's three apprentices that are just doing it. They're doing really, really well. Um, so uh, Mike's having because of his his situation, his contract with Green Tree, it kind of limited him to how many mounts he was able to get, and he was kind of in the spin cycle, same as as I was. Um, and Eric was winning all the races, uh, so. Um, we're just kind of pounding it out. Eric's still doing great. Eric looks like he's the guy. And, um, and it was, uh, I, I got lucky and won a couple of more races and was starting to race in my brows. And, um, there was a, er, Eric was kind of slipping. He was kind of, it, it was a, it was a, there was one day that, that he, he uh, we, we all became friends. There was one day that, you know, I guess I think he was just kind of taking things for granted, and he didn't show up for a workout, and um, and uh, and so I was there, and I was available. So I, I I got I picked up that trainer, I picked up this other outfit because because Eric was just he started just to kind of I thought he maybe he took his position for granted, and um, and he, and he, you know what he was such a kind person. That I, I think that he was okay with that. Like he was like he wasn't he didn't want 
all the apples. He didn't want all the apples. He, um, I, you know, I was trying to an analyze that, and and he was taking care of his family, and um, and uh, I remember there was one morning um, we were supposed to work the, the horses together for this one trainer, and Eric didn't show up. So I drove to his apartment myself, and I'm trying to get him out of bed, and I'm trying to wake him up, and I'm like, Eric, you can't do this. And he's like, it's okay, it's all right. You know, they might get mad, I'll be all right. And and, and so I was actually trying to, you know, <laughs> motivate yeah. him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so then, you know, this is through the course of the spring. So there was one day um, at Aqueduct where it was, it was a nasty, horrible weather day. It was probably 30 degrees and pouring rain, sloppy track. Like, cold enough, cold enough, I mean, it was cold enough to... Not snow, but pouring rain. Eric, Eric, Eric called in sick. He didn't. He didn't come oh, in to ride. Okay. And uh, and I, I picked up. I was available. I picked up all his mounts, and three of them won. And uh, and that was that was the turning point. Um, people were frustrated with with Eric and his laxadaisio um, mindset and. Uh, and I was hungry, and and I, I that was that was the turning point. And next thing you know, I'm I'm riding I'm riding a lot of Eric's clients, his horses, and winning races. And uh, and Eric's business started to to uh, slope down. And um, I went in, I went into the Belmont Spring Meet, uh, so I was leading apprentice. I, I took over that position, that role, and. Uh, and I was riding for some of the best stables in New York, and 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 not only um, riding apprentice weights, I was riding stakes races. So I'm winning, I'm winning some of those bigger, those bigger events that would that would mandatorily carry full weight, so you don't get the apprenticeship. So people had faith in me. Um, I had a great agent with Tony Matos, who was also Angel Cordero's agent, and and Angels. Angels uh, vying for the Eclipse Award too. So between the two of us, we're both. My our agent, our agent Tony Matos, uh, he had the two the two top riders oh, covering wow. journeyman and apprentice in, in the nation. Yeah. So, um, so Eric's business started to to slide down, and and, um, and Mike's business also. Mike Condalas, his his business was was not. He's doing fine, but. But I was getting all the business, and I went into Saratoga. Um, I ended up winning a couple of big races there, along with several other races, and and just everybody started to cling to me. As Frank discussed, Eric's business had started to slip, but it didn't change who he was. But um, but Eric started started uh, his business started to decline, and he started to suffer, and then he started to struggle. And um, but he was never, you know, getting back to Eric and his personality. He was rooting for me, and he, he knew he knew he made mistakes, and um, and he didn't put any you know there was no there was no spiteful feelings and and if anything I felt I started feeling bad inside you know I pretty much took over took his business and I was I was rolling I mean it, it wasn't it wasn't my fault but I felt I still felt some guilt about it and and. He was, I thought, a better rider than me. Uh, I mean, as, as far as, I thought he was extraordinary. Where, I mean, I, I thought I was 
I mean, I thought I was the beans, right? I thought I could, I was good, as good as anybody. That 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 struggling that he went through, Frank. Um, I I believe that's one reason why he ended up also going down to Keystone, right? Just to be able to get rides and maybe revive his career, right? Is that correct? That's right, because he was he was trying to find out where he can fit. We had um, which is part of the story. We had our our babies, our first children. The, the, together, they they were born five days apart, and and yeah, so that was kind of cool. Um, but I was upset because we 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 shared a house. And he was he was in New York. We shared a house, and uh, we rented a house together with our with our spouses in um, Saratoga that summer. And when he had told me, and now our our wives were seven months pregnant together. And our due dates were just around the exact same time. It was really, it was, it was a really fun, you know, like a, a time for for us. And talking about having our babies and being excited. And um, and then when he decided he wasn't he wasn't doing well and and he had to do something because he wasn't making a living, that he was going to try to go to uh, Keystone, which was which is now Parks Racing, Philadelphia Park Parks Racing. Um, so I remember being just disappointed and just wishing he could get some more business so we can stay together and 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 have our babies play together and mm. and, and our wives you know be moms together. Yeah. So, so I remember being you know like kind of sad about that. Nevertheless, as they are wont, the slide continued gathering its own momentum as it proceeded downhill. But people were giving up on him and. <clears throat> and next thing you know, I mean, we head into the, the fall, and, and he's struggling. Um, he's, he's not doing well. So, um, And he tried a few things. He tried a few different, went to Maryland for a short period of time, and then he came back. And um, and then, uh, yeah, so, yeah, he, he, he uh, things things went south for him pretty quick, which this business can do. It can, it can swallow you up pretty quick. There was actually another apprentice, Jorge Vargas, that was campaigning in your neck, in your neck of the woods there in, in Boston, and uh, he became the, the my formidable opponent for the Eclipse Award by the time we got to the end of the year, um, because he he had won more races than me, uh, but he was you know where I was based in New York, which is the premier racing of the country. Um, that that uh, Boston was was a, wasn't as is considered as competitive um, right. as far as the level of riders and horses and trainers and such. I think the most difficult time for me in doing these interviews and preparing this podcast for publication was the circumstances surrounding Eric's death and hearing Richie and Frank talk about how they learned about it. He stopped to get coffee. This is the story that I the way I understood it. He stopped to get coffee on on the New, New Jersey Turnpike. Where he, this other guy approached him that uh, was from Panama that spoke Spanish, and struck, struck up a conversation with Eric, and asked Eric if uh, he could give him a ride because he was he was going back to he he was in a he was in a service of some kind I think um, in the military service of some kind, um, so. Eric agreed. He, he needed a ride, and Eric said, well, I'm not going all the way. And he asked him, well, if you could just give me, if you could just give me a ride as far as you can, 
And um, and then apparently, once he got Eric in the car, he took. He, he was a big guy, a big, much bigger than Eric. I, I, um, he was able to overtake Eric, and uh, he he wanted his whatever money he had and his car. Um, he because Eric had a nice little Trans Am. The guy wanted his car, so he overtook Eric, and um, he tied him up with his shoelaces. Um, and then when he, he, he threw him out of the car, he, um, because he knew him or that he would be able to identify him, he, the guy must have thought, you know, I better, I better take care of this. So he, he, he shot him and, uh, but Eric didn't die right away. Um, but he was basically, he was basically gone and the guy turned around and then drove back to New York with Eric's car. And, and that's how they were able to, to catch him so quickly yeah that's that's the 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 hardest story and especially like knowing how kind um that was that was very hard to hear uh and 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 learn um but that's the way i understood it Uh, yeah well he was helping somebody out right i mean he was helping somebody out you know Um, yeah 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 eric was not there was rumors that it was a drug deal or there was this or that and it was nothing like that because Eric was so excited to be a dad, and he never did drugs. He never, he was so, so conscious about his health and, and his weight, and he never, um, he was never in trouble. He was just a good human being. But I wanted to make sure um, that, that people, any listeners would understand that this was a, yeah. it, was a it was a sad, sad situation. That we were all riding together. Frankie had actually won the Eclipse Award the year before for Champion Apprentice. And uh, I remember Frankie calling me and telling me I hadn't heard it. And, um, you know, he was crying, and it, you know, it, it shocked me. And, you know, I wasn't as close with Eric. I was friendly with Eric. I, w- I would consider him a friend, but we weren't, like, you know, buddies where we'd hang out or anything But other than, you know, in the locker room. But, um, you know, stunned. Everybody was stunned. Um, it, it was, you know, uniformly around the racetrack, everybody was in shock. We couldn't believe that this happened, you know, to somebody that we all knew and cared about. And Frank, how did you, you know, t- to bring this up, but how, how did you hear about him, you know, what his death? Well, to, to, to paint the story that, that um, so he was going, he, he was still, his apartment was still in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was driving to Keystone Racetrack, Philadelphia Parks Racing, with whatever, there, the track there in Philadelphia area. Um, he was getting up like four in the morning and driving from New York to get on horses in the morning and, um, try to get his career going, going there. So he was getting on horses in the morning and he just started this. Uh, he was just getting started down there. And, and, um, like I said, I was a little disappointed because I, I wish he was doing better in New York where he could stay and we could have our kids together and be together. Um, so, uh, and we just did have our babies. They were, they were just, uh, basically born. It was right around, they, they were, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking they were just maybe 10 days old. Um, and I was frustrated because I'm like, I want to like, let's get together. Let's now that, now that the, the wives are out of a hospital, and, and they, they were born in different hospitals. Um, let's get together, and let's, you know, I was dying to put the babies on a, 
on the floor and play together. You know, of course, they're babies. <laughs> <laughs> right idea, but wrong time. It's our, yeah, first, yeah. <laughs> it's our first kids. You know, we're sure. buying them tennis rackets and keys <laughs> <laughs> yep. and stuff, and um, bows and arrows. So, um, yeah, we were we were both excited. And uh, anyway, I, I, this is how I found out. Is uh, I. I Typical day for me, get to the Belmont racetrack, leave around 6 in the morning. Um, and uh, so I pull into the, the track, and I and I head to the kitchen to, I, I usually would meet up with my agent um, by the kitchen. And another friend of mine, who is also an agent, um, says, uh, hey, did you hear? Batia got shot in the head last night. And, and, and I just, my knees buckled. My, my knees buckled. And, and the way he said it was, like, you know, like that's not that's not how I wanted to hear it. It was very, it was it was more news. It wasn't. It it was more like news, like somebody you didn't know. But when it's somebody you do know, um, and especially somebody you feel you feel so passionate about, um, that's how I found out. And I just remember, I I just collapsed. I I had to. Um, I got to my car, and it's you know back then there was no cell phones or anything. Sure. Yeah. And I just had to, I had to get, I had to get home to my wife and, and, uh, and then we, we went from, I, I left the racetrack. Um, I told my agent, I can't, I can't even bear to think about work right now. Um, and I, we went straight to the, the church and started praying because what we had learned, um, what we had learned is, is that, um, that he was still alive, but on life support. So, and I was just a kid. I was just a kid. So I'm thinking, well, there's a chance, right? And and of course, there there is miracles. There is miracles. Yep. Um, Eric and I, we also shared um, a dear friend and our business advisor, um, a, a man named Bob Rittenhouse, and and uh, and I, I I got on the phone with him. He's the one that was able to um, give me more details, and he was he was on his way to the hospital uh, where uh, where Eric was on on uh, the intensive care unit and and um, it was it, you know we went straight to we went straight to the church and, and just prayed and uh, and I can't remember you know back then I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was a day or, or two days that you know it was it was a, a loss yeah and um, and it was it was, you know, it was horrible, you know, and, and at that point, you know, we, we all kind of, as we get older, you know, you, you do have to deal with death here and there and family and people that you're close to. Um, but that was a, that was a, that was such a kick. Um, uh, that, that it was just devastating for me emotionally. Um, Anytime we are faced with the death of a loved one, the pain and overwhelming sense of loss can be almost crippling at times. And death is rarely wrapped up in a neat package, even as we wish it might be. Closure is a concept often mentioned in company with personal tragedy. I don't know that closure is as easily attainable as it is sometimes made to sound. You can hear, I think, acceptance when Frank talks about the loss of his friend, but some emotions are never shut away for good. Sure, no. Well, at that age, you know... You think you're going to live forever. You think you're all going to live forever, and this is never going to end. It's great times that we're having, and yeah. that's a sobering. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a sobering lesson at a young age, right? Um, uh, whew. Oh my god! Yeah, and and um, and before I forget, I do want to 
mention that my well my do my daughter my daughter and his son were already born and already named <clears throat> but um i had uh me and my wife had a, a second child that they're close together 16 months apart and that was my son Sean who um is named after my birth name is actually Sean um who is named after both me and Eric so my son um my son Sean is is Sean Eric Lovato which uh, I'm very proud of but that's how much he meant to me <clears throat> a, a good a good guy as I said, things rarely end as neatly as we would wish. One of Frank's lasting regrets is how he and the family Eric left behind ended up drifting apart. Just, you know, uh, obviously, I said devastating for his child, but the child really didn't know yet. But obviously, as the child would grow up without dad around, it's tough. And, of course, his wife right. was pretty young, you know, I would imagine. And, uh, but, I mean, it had to be very difficult right. on them. So, um... We, we were, after the first couple of days, and it was like right like the funeral um, and uh, the services that we, we did, um, we got to put our babies together with his, his wife. And Eric had his, <laughs> he had like his brothers and family that all lived in this apartment with him, and he took care of everybody. He paid for all, you know, everything. And um, so his brothers, I, I got along really well with his brothers, and and um, but his wife, she didn't she didn't speak English, and she did not she did not seem interested to to continue. Um, you know, I was like, you know, so our babies can grow up together and stuff. And, and she basically she was just uh, I I didn't I couldn't really get to know her, and we shared a house together. Even my wife my wife Sandy um, my late wife Sandy unfortunately. Uh, is friendly with with everybody, and it was just very. She was kind of standoffish, and and which was the opposite of Eric. Eric was just fun, lovable, and friendly with everybody, and uh, she was kind of private and and didn't didn't look, you know, do much. So it we did it didn't work out. It was it, that was another devastating part of the. I wanted to I wanted to know I wanted to get to know little Eric, and as we grew up, and and um, and you know if I could be a father figure. But um, unfortunately, she didn't. Uh, she she didn't seem to be interested, and in and I think I'm not positive, but I I think she may have gone back to uh, Panama. John Lennon and Paul McCartney were respectively 25 and 23 years old when their song "In My Life" was released on the Beatles' Rubber Soul album. It's one of my favorite songs. I'm hardly alone in that. But I always marvel at the wisdom contained in it from some so young and yet so insightful. I thought of this song often as I am wont to do when thinking about or experiencing tragedy. And I think it perfectly summed up the to this day strong feelings evoked when people like Richie and Frank talk about their dear, never forgotten friend, Eric Batia. Yeah, I think they are important stories to be told. And, and you know, in a way it honors him, keeps his memory alive because, you know, again, he would have written his own page in the history of this sport if, if you know, this unbelievable, you know, unfathomable event didn't happen, you know. But I, I, I tell you, I'll never, I'll never forget him and, and, and his impact on, on my life and the friendship that we had. And, and, and this is back when I, when, we were both like 20 years old when, um, when uh, we had our kids. I just turned, I actually, I, I just, I just turned 20. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Eric was, I think Eric was almost a year older than me. 
So we were, we were just kids, you know. But uh, already had already had a lot of miles, and and here Eric was a was a kid that came up from Panama, and um, and got himself here to America, oh. not speaking a word of English, and then being um, literally he was on top of the world for wow. for that year as an apprentice. In the but but he 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 deserved it. He deserved it. It may be old, but it is nevertheless a truism. Fame is fleeting. I mentioned my dad a couple of times at the beginning of this podcast. Even though we shared a first name, there was much about him that took a great deal of time for me to figure out, some of which, candidly, I'm still in the process of figuring out. But one thing I know for sure, despite the more than small, less than huge amount of fame and recognition he received as a newspaper reporter and editorial writer in Boston, that fame and recognition mattered not a whit to him. The only things that mattered to him were the love and well-being of, in order, our mother, we his children, his extended family, and his friends. I think his philosophy of living your life is one I wish was a philosophy that was more widely embraced by our modern-day society. Riches, stature, fame, arbitrary, fleeting, and in the end, meaningless. The only things that have real and long-lasting impact are the love and cherished memories any of us will leave behind for our spouses, children, extended family, and friends. I hope it's been as clear to you as it was to me in listening to this podcast that Eric Batia, now gone nearly four decades, left behind that love those memories, and eternal fondness for and deep appreciation of the short life that he lived. That love, those memories, that fondness, that appreciation, if that is all any of us ever strive for every day, well, to quote Louis Armstrong, I think to myself, what a wonderful world.